the incomparable. Number 511, April 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this episode is all about the Sci-Fi Channel uh, original series, The Magicians, Season 5, the final season of The Magicians, because it was canceled. Um, But uh, it has an ending that they wrote knowing that they probably weren't coming back, but might. So, again, I feel like it reaches an ending, but we'll talk about the ending when we get there. I wanted to start, though, by talking about the show, as we always do when we do episodes about these TV shows uh, that are that are on. So you can watch the first four seasons on Netflix, at least in the U.S. I think they're widely available that way. And uh, so we wanted to just at least start with a little bit of a pitch for why you should watch The Magicians. Now that it's complete, you may be like one of those people who says, I will not watch a show unless I know that it is complete. Um, And so we're going to do that before we blow the spoiler horn and talk about season five and then the series as a whole. Let me introduce my panelists who are going to help me do that. Annette Weirstra is here. Hello. Hello. I am here to... uh Wave my hands magically, yeah. and uh, you can't see it, but she's gesturing I'm like, magically right now. I'm casting a spell. Mm-hmm. That's right. Everything gets all the little lines come out and their little shiny Very things. Fancy. It's good. It's good. Glenn Fleischman is here, a magician himself. Hello. Hello. I have brought you some little cakes. I. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous. Dangerous when there are cakes. James Thompson is here. Hello. Uh, I'm. I'm so happy you're dating a bear. And now I gesture again magically in the direction of Moises Chuyan. I'm a man tethered to a machine for poop and humiliation, and I abhor it. I said good day. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I am your host and perfectly sane, but that's because I hold a cat Mm. at all times. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, those are references, everybody. Uh, We should we should get started and talk about people. This comes up a lot when we recommend the magicians to people, which is uh, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I tried in season one and I don't know. Like, season one is the weakest season. I think it's still entertaining, but the characters are a little less likable. And I was thinking about this today. One of the, I think, really clever conceits that they do in season one is they hold the magical... So, the magical land of Fillory is the central figure of this show. And it's like Narnia, kind of, except messed up. And season one... Fillory, they dance around Fillory, but they take a very long time to show it to you. And I think that may be one of the reasons that the show really comes into its own in future seasons is that then they're able to spend a lot of time kind of dipping into fantasy world and then back into, you know, real world, but with magic. And uh, so, you know, I generally... The show is so good, and if season one doesn't do it for you, I would I would definitely recommend uh, trying to push through into season two because season two it picks right up, and at that point, uh, I can't help you if you don't like the show because it's because it's great. Does anybody else have any advice for people who are thinking about watching this show? The way I think of this show, it's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer was kind of fantasy with pop culture references, mm-hmm. and this show is another layer of meta in that all the characters in it have grown up watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and they literally reference Buffy Mm -hmm. in some of the later episodes. And yeah, it's kind of, it takes it a while to get into its groove and I think find what works. And like it starts out and it's like kind of emo Hogwarts and (laughs) I'm a bit annoyed with all the characters. And 
by like season three is a i mean you were saying season two is better but season three is like this huge jump in quality yeah season three is one of the best tv seasons i've ever seen <laughs> yes <laughs> like that's that's absolutely mm-hmm. and and i was going through my list and of like favorite moments and stuff from the show and most of them were in season three but i think season four is really good and yeah. season five is i don't feel as slightly as good uh but that might just be because it's sort of continuing on at the same level yeah um and doesn't the graph doesn't go up anymore but it yeah definitely it's i I hate saying to people you know it gets good (laughs) you have to watch two seasons before it gets good and i don't think that's true you have to watch two seasons before it gets great yes the third season is transcendent watch watch this cw show for three seasons and then it gets kind of okay and it gets really good in season five the, the thing I agree with James on the emo Harry Potter is, mm-hmm. is I think it also, uh, the first season hues more closely to the books. And I think the first book is the weakest of the books. Although I've had my great reckoning as discussed in previous podcasts that I really hated book one. I thought it ended poorly. I didn't like Quentin as the anti, anti, anti hero. And, um, I was very disappointed. And then I went back and I kind of read book three for some reason and then two and realized that the hero arc was a, a feint and they do it so well in the TV series. So I came to the TV series knowing that we're presented with Quentin as if he's the most important person in this world. And he ultimately, this is a minor spoiler, won't necessarily be right, because that's yeah. the arc of the book. That, that's, the, and, that's the point of it is that he's set mm-hmm. up as the obvious right. uh, hero figure and the, the show and the book both make the point that that's not the story you're actually seeing. Right. So season one, they're still sort of setting. It's a it's a long, slow setup. And yeah. you're like, well, darker, you know, emo Harry Potter, Potter. They're in a school of magic. It's pretty dark. Right. I mean, it's, you know, Voldemort is no, um, you know, shrinking violet. But this is really pretty evil. This is like beyond the pale, even in the early episodes. But you are kind of waiting because, you know, even casual people who are, you know, are starting the show in season one and everyone talks about kind of this fantasy world thing and it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But I had actually people recently I was saying how great I thought season five was on Twitter. And they said, oh, I couldn't get into it. I'm like, get through season one. It's fine. It'll seem a little bit, you know, world building, whatever, but get through it. It's not that bad. It's fine. Uh, and then season two, and then you'll then just yeah, keep season, going from there. And season two recontextualizes season one mm. for you such that it's not that season one is bad or not great or whatever, but the, it, it it's additive and it's not going back to correct things as it were. It's not, it's not fixing problems it is rewarding the fact that you watched season one that's <laughs> that's what it's doing it's I, it's the umami the the additive uh you know fifth flavor i i think for me i i actually liked season one fine it was fine but it wasn't until season two when i started to get a little obsessive about it and i yeah. watched them late i watched season one through three in a row huh. while I was in San Francisco because I had American Netflix because it's not, it Ooh. only is recently available in Canada on Prime, Amazon Prime. Mm. Uh, so it, you can get season one through four there now. But until then, I've been buying seasons because um, after I watched the first three in a go, I had to keep going. But yeah, I got a little obsessive at season two and three where it won my heart over. It's Prime Video in Canada and and the UK, by the way. So I yeah. said Netflix okay. in the US, but it's on Prime Video and other in other parts of the world. But I think those first four seasons are available basically everywhere now. And the fifth yeah. season will will get there. It's funny, something that I think James said um, about the idea that this is uh, 
not only Buffy the Vampire Slayer for people who watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like their <laughs> characters do, but I think it's even broader than that. The whole premise of the show is what if the fantasy books that you read as a kid turn out to be real? Mm-hmm. And it's not just, oh my God, there's a really a Narnia. It's also, oh, I know everything about it. Like I'm a fan. I and the, and the that all plays into it. It's like they're aware, and it's that that's the extra level that makes it a very modern kind of story. Is it's a fantasy story about magicians. They do, they can go to a fantasy world, but they are aware of all the tropes. They are aware of all the deconstructions of it. They've read all the Wikipedia pages. They've read the books many times. Like that's part of the characters. So they're not like, Oh, what's this fantasy world? I can't believe it. They're like, Oh yeah, right. Like they know it. And that I I find that delightful. One of the scenes, um, I think it was early season uh, three that really brought that home is that there's a scene with, uh, Elliot and Margot, and uh, Elliot is explaining the situation they are in entirely in pop culture references, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they cannot be overheard. And, yeah, and that was great. Spied on. Yeah, and that just, I think, summed it all up. That you know they were referencing Battlestar Galactica, you know, Game <laughs> of Thrones, all these different. Oh yeah, things. it was it was Darmok and Jalad at uh, or Darmok and uh, Darmok and Jalad at Tanaga. Yeah, you were you were. On Wait, the right. I was right. That's crazy. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, no, no, it was it was totally Shaka when the walls fell. I mean, yeah, you were there. <laughs> but it's really, re- I think it rewards us as the viewer as well for because you feel very validated for knowing all these references or right. a lot of them. So it's is when you're watching it, it's like. The show is constantly patting you on the back saying, yeah, you're the cool kid who also gets all of these references. You spell that time you spent reading and watching fantasy stuff. So, you know, if you're a fan of that stuff, it it feels very validating. For sure. it's, it's metatextual without mm-hmm. being solely focused on one particular thing where one of the things that annoys me the most about uh occasionally I will have recommended to me some comic book that is the new hot comic book of the moment. And it is recommended to me with the same kind of high concept pitch that is, Oh, it's like sailor moon meets Buffy, the vampire slayer. And I'm like, uh, okay. And this is a, 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 a thorough base of Harry Potter and Narnia, but with a bunch of other stuff thrown on top sure. of it. Yeah. yeah. And it's in a world where everybody knows that Harry Potter and all these other books exist. They know mm-hmm. they have the Lord of the ring they say wands out, Harry, you know, they're just, yeah. they're, they're referencing this culture. Yeah. It's real in their world. But I think what's also, it's great in the book and it's great in the first book and it's great in the series is that the sheer horror and awfulness of this fantasy world that they, many of them, I mean, particularly Quentin grew up kind of obsessed with or, you know, thought of as this lovely place with the comfy horse and all the other things that are just great. All the fantasy elements in the end, good triumphs and evil is defeated. Um, it's a horrible, horrible place. And we find that right. shockingly in season one. And there is also a, ter- and it's even, I would say more terrifying in the books because it's in our heads. It's an even worse imagery there. Um, and, and that's a important, like, like this isn't pleasant and we're going to screw you up and we're going to start with that right off the top. So you have no misapprehensions about this show. I would say that the show generally does start off probably more unpleasant than it ends mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's a whole rape storyline, which mm-hmm. is yeah, yeah. really uh, hard. Um, and, you know, there's, there's 
you know, lovely animals turned inside out in the same uh, storyline and things. And it's just <laughs> very hard. No, we don't laugh at that. Uh, and yeah. it's the... the we, we laugh out of discomfort. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think it... I don't know if I, I would say it mellows as it goes on, but uh, I think once once you get past that stuff, it's a lot easier. You, you mentioned uh, something that I, I think it's a fair content warning to give people is there there is a significant storyline that involves uh, sexual assault. And as I've mentioned on previous recap episodes, one of the things that I found most galling about uh, the studio marketing department's decisions around that was that they made that the 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 recap montage oh. before something like six or seven episodes yeah. of that yeah. season. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, in watching the show now, you won't be subjected to that. But there are other there are very difficult things. There are self-harm, uh, you know, suicide, those sorts of themes that are explored. Um, and and there are there are things that the show could have handled better. But frankly, the 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 missteps that they have are far from the missteps that I've seen in other shows where at the very least there there was the intent and an attempt on behalf of the showrunners to handle things as responsibly as they could. And they don't have control over how their trailers are cut and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I, on, on the whole, I found it to be much more conscientious than other shows that tackle a lot of these kinds of subjects. I think also on the flip side of that, this show is really funny, which I don't know that people might go into it expecting that. I mean, it's not like jokes, um, but the it's consistently just the way the characters behave yeah, it's the char- situation and, and that's yeah. that's the core of it right is it it's not it's not just the jokes it's the characters and that's the strength of this show is that you build these characters up over time and they interact with each other and there are a lot of characters there's a core cast and a lot of recurring people and uh characters come in and out and it's uh the character stuff is the strength of the show and that that that's the thing that you know you can't i've said this before on podcasts about tv shows like the one thing you can have the greatest script in the world if your cast isn't great if you don't cast it well it's not gonna fly and you can have a show that's okay and you cast it really well you get lucky in the casting and then that show will achieve liftoff and the magician's main cast is a whole bunch of people nobody'd ever heard of and they got they either got lucky or were geniuses at casting. Either way, <laughs> the cast is great, great, great. So the 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 one member of the cast who I I knew of before this, I knew for an indie movie that she was in and hadn't seen her in loads of other stuff. And that's Summer Bishop who plays Margot, and for me steals the entire freaking yeah. show. Mm-hmm. Um, the the whole the whole main cast is fantastic, and uh, Rick Worthy showed up in this and then started showing up in a bunch of stuff. Uh, Man in the High Castle, like he would show up yeah. as either a recurring I thought or... of him as a Battlestar Galactica, but no, <laughs> yeah. he's more. Well, that, that's the thing is... is All the big is he, reactors, yeah. It, 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 had been, it had been a little while and then suddenly he was in a bunch of other stuff and he, he's a very central figure in yeah. this. Um, and Marley Matlin shows up, uh, early on there. There's some really oh, great, so great, uh, you know, recurring guest stars that show up throughout the show. And for me, beyond the cast, when it comes to recurring, the recurring persona of the show, there are recurring types of episodes that pop up now and then, um, that, you know, if you like singing and dancing, there's definitely something in there, uh, pretty frequently for you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and heist. It's, they also yeah, always have a heist. Yeah. Always heist. got a heist. 
you know, just like Brooklyn Nine-Nine has their Halloween heist episode every year, there is always a heist going on at some point. I, I will say about the acting, too, is I do think they did a uh, – they accidentally, intentionally – got a great cast and then they also lifted up people through the show who show up in smaller roles early on mm-hmm. and become more important and sometimes dominate i'm thinking particularly about uh britney curran who plays uh, F- uh fen yeah who i think is by the end i'm just watching her all the time basically because oh, she is hilarious and unexpected but i think also in the first season i think the, the actors are still wrestling with how to play the characters i think the direction is a little weaker and i remember feeling that they had kind of one note things you know and there's a joke about it in season five i think there's a little play inside of play which i believe is kind of a joke about the early characterizations and then they also as all actors will do and all shows do they open up as well so if you're like in season one you're like well i don't know the plot's a little uh, i'm not sure i love all the writing it's interesting the actors i don't know if they've totally got it and then in season two you're like oh they've inhabited the characters now and now we just move on and it, and it becomes more fluent I, I wrote down those lines and it was like Margot and Elliot and they, uh, Margot says, we used to be glamorous, amazing mega bitches. <laughs> and now, and Elliot says, we have depth and character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to fire off the spoiler horn. We're going to talk about season five and the end of the show. But uh, again, if you have not partaken yet and you're one of those people who listens to podcasts about shows that you haven't watched yet, go watch The Magicians. It's really good. And yes, season one. Is not bad, but it gets so much better. So please stick with it. These are short seasons, 13 episode seasons. And now here comes the spoiler horn. Okay, let's uh, dive into season five. Now that we've done our, done our sale every year, we do our sales pitch for the magicians. I feel like not enough people saw this show yeah. and they need to discover <laughs> it on streaming like, uh, like Annette did. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and then uh, binge away, binge away. So the big points of season five, uh, I'm going to walk through them just as big plot points, and then we can we can discuss them a little bit. And I wanted to start with future fillery, the idea that where this um, there's there's some magic's going haywire. That's part of it. But the for me the big first step is. Uh, they find out that the the Fillory is 300 years in the future, and they've lost Fen and Josh, and Elliot and, and Margot are in the future, and there's a new Dark King that's ruling it, and uh, and so you get this whole thing where they have to figure out time and and can they pull uh, Fen and Josh forward or did they did they die and what does history recall? And it's an interesting kind of reset on. Uh, on fillery that allows there to be this king that has ruled for hundreds of years who we've never seen by pushing it forward and also you get to have some sort of uh it sets up some more time travel fun because there are like time bees and uh and other things (laughs) that allow them to uh, ultimately pull the characters we care about forward in time to get them out of there any any feelings about this first sort of segment I think the the one thing that kind of like uh, is over the first like three, four episodes is the fact that Quentin dies at the end of the previous season. Mm-hmm. And there's there's basically yes. a, gr- a grieving period. I had as my on uh, kind of next <laughs> to it in my notepad was Elliot is allowed to grieve because that was mm-hmm. one of our, yeah. our yeah. criticisms of the end of season four is while the death of Quentin is dramatic and interesting and sets... Uh, all the characters in a place where they could go interesting places in the finale of season four, 
it gets dealt with in in very limited ways and a lot of it is from quentin's perspective and one of the great criticisms is there was that amazing season three episode where quentin and elliot live a whole life together yeah and yet we didn't really get to see because elliot had just been uh depossessed uh he didn't really get a chance to truly mourn elliot and or uh, uh, quentin and uh we get a whole episode where uh elliot basically goes elliot and alice go and get a chance to mourn quentin and yes they meet the dark king he's I, I, five minutes in i'm like he's totally the dark king that's the dark but uh they they yes because we know the tropes we this season I, and i i gotta think that part of it is that the writers heard what the fans and and the critics were saying about not giving them space to grieve quentin and they might have done it anyway but very clearly they're like no we are going to spend an episode on, on a mountaintop hiking <laughs> and we're going to give everybody a chance to mourn oh, quentin properly oh it's a hiking episode remember my theory that every fantasy <laughs> and science fiction novel has an extended hiking or camping yep. period usually in the, in the frozen north well that's that episode yeah, it's that's that's where you do your shoe leather and and character develop stuff and exactly. deepen characters and so on in the wilderness i i, I had kind of a you know as i i mentioned on the previous uh season wrap episode that i felt like uh it was it was unfair that alice got to mourn him but elliot did not um i acknowledged that, that was also unfair got he got to say goodbye yeah and elliot did not that right. was my beat. but the, the the thing the thing to me was I felt like it was it was unfair that it left the season at that point, but it felt like the writers knew that knew that they had another season. They definitely didn't write the season four closer. No, that was the only the time the whole series that they knew they had a second season because they were picked and, up for four and five. And oh, yeah, that yeah. is why I think they left that thread to to handle at the beginning of season five, because I have a feeling they broke both seasons at the same time mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. they knew where they were putting it. I did not like, and it was unfair that we went all of that time not getting to see that. I think in retrospect, now the show is complete and as people are able to binge it, uh, people who are catching up on the show now or following through season five now will not find it nearly as unfair as we did oh, while we were having to wait for it. That's great. Cause that was my feeling again in reading the books. It was the same thing of like only in book three, book three redeems a lot of stuff in book one and, and, and makes me recontextualize it in the same way that episode, I mean, especially the episode, the mountains of ghosts episode three, season five, uh, that to me, they did some retcon in it in a very light way. It wasn't, uh, unconvincing. But when they go back and you see a scene you didn't see before between Quentin and Elliot, and it's absolutely meaningful and it's reasonable. It's totally Quentin's behavior. He and Alice have nothing at that point. He's just had this experience. They're remembering this whole life. And Elliot just kind of lightly blowing him off also felt totally reasonable. So I didn't feel like they were like, oops, we want to fix this. But they sh- and they clearly shot that scene. I-, I can't believe they reset that that perfectly. Maybe they did. I don't know TV enough production enough, but it felt like they shot that all together uh, in mm-hmm. order to have this for later use or they perfectly reset the mood and everything else anyway. But but I think it it does redeem that period in terms of, as you say, Moises, it's that. Um, we don't have to feel, you know, if you're waiting for it, you're waiting for the shows to air, you're like, are they ever going to deal with this? Or does Elliot just not have and not allowed to have this kind of grief and loss? And then they do. And now that we know that it's okay, like it's, it's but, some level. 
I mean, but they do generally open up this season with Alice's grief again. And we have yep. Alice right. going down a dark path and creating a, a golem. <laughs> and yeah. I, I wasn't sure where that was going to go, yeah. whether we were going to get a, a actual Quentin back in some form in a kind of... <laughs> Uh, which we did sort of yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's, yeah. that's that's what made me doubt myself in the oh well i guess i was wrong because it's again the alice show and annette and i are and then i love we, talking we about how much we despise alice. in the beginning well and i i actually entered the season really tentatively because i i didn't care that they killed off quentin sorry quentin what because because you know it's such a good collaborative show it's yeah, like well yeah. you know that's fine yeah. If the actor is gone, that's that's fine. And but I was just so concerned about Elliot because I I hate Alice. I'm sorry for all the Alice lovers <laughs> out there. But I was just like ugh, the first few episodes. I was like, so it's all about Alice being sad, and we have a few passing comments, and then finally we get that episode where we actually get to see Elliot grieve. And I um I actually this morning I was. I watched the first and the last episode again and I was like, Oh, I'm less angry watching the first episode again <laughs> and seeing Alice because I'm like, what they're really doing is looking at Alice is having that heavy miring. I can't get out of bed grief, which it, it happens, right? Like when yeah. I lost yeah. my mom, mm. I was kind of more of an Alice than I was an Elliot, but he, he's very much in denial and they are talking about it, but it's just like it just at the beginning it felt like they're putting it off but then you're like no he's having his own path of grief and in hindsight um showing different kinds of grief and allowing people and that that actually shades the entire season for because we talk about julia and her loss too and it it does shade the entire season i think the loss of El of quentin without being too heavy like it's not a downer on the whole season but it does shape all of the characters and a lot of their actions which i appreciated can i say just an overall thing too is that i um i mean i actually agree 100 percent with what you just said just by the way but also also i thought <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> one of the things about the season given that they knew they had four and five at the same time this is like 20 pounds of plot in a five pound bag and as the mm -hmm. season went on i was kind of I, I know a i was expecting quentin to come back i actually thought james will testify that in, a, in yeah. slack i was saying oh they're going to use the bit at the end of book three because it's so powerful but it's also you know it's a way for them to bring quentin back briefly and then they don't which is incredible restraint but yeah. they threw every possible thing in there and as the season progressed i was like this is sort of too much plot but then i was like you know this has kind of become a mangy dog story you're having all these different kinds of things i love the cast i like seeing them go through going going through all this they're trying new things and they're also producing a strong performance without uh without quentin and without that actor who has been you know, the mainstay. So it actually is proving the kind of the point of the book's arc as well mm -hmm. is that he wasn't the hero. He was the hero. He gets his hero. He gets hero moments at different times, but he, he was gets a to, hero. He was, right. Right, yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And like, even when the bit with, um, Fen, I mean, all the, every character gets to be a hero and Josh gets his hero moment earlier where he becomes part of the group. You know, he's or, critical. Original Penny dies. Original, yeah. original yeah. Penny been dies. dead for seasons. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. So they, so I would say they exercised incredible restraint in not bringing Quentin back because that would have been the easy thing to do and they didn't do it. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention one other thing about the whole Quentin and Elliot thing which is I think it's very easy for you to pick and choose as a viewer when you've got an episode where they live a whole life in a day and then it resets 
and they look at each other like they remember it. But it, this is the old, this is the Captain Picard inner light argument, which is, did he really live an entire life or did he just have memories put in his brain? And what's the difference in all of that? And I think it's an important moment in that third episode where Elliot talks about it to Alice. Not only is he talking about it, like just getting it out there. So, so, mm-hmm. so she understands that his, his feelings about mourning uh, Quentin, but also um, it makes it, clear right in the text of the show he's like mm-hmm. you know that happened <laughs> like he's calling yeah. out like you can't you can't ignore it you can't mm-hmm. pretend that it didn't happen well that was a whatever it's elliot saying no that happened like that was and it had a huge impact on both of us and i think that's also a, a moment where maybe they're thinking uh, after a little consideration whether they're listening to criticism or or not that the writers had a little time and I, I liked how they did that, that they, they put it down and said, no, this this is real and it had an impact and you can't wave it away and say, well, that was fantasy, whatever, Elliot and Quentin, whatever. It's like, no, no, you can't. And I appreciated that. Elliot has to regret it forever, which is why he tries to, you know, that the bit, oh, I was just rewatching uh, some of the early episodes in season five and the bit at the episode, uh, is it uh, the end of episode two? I think it is. Yes. He... Uh, Elliot almost puts the letter in the letterbox that will go to Quentin right. before mm-hmm. he went to the the uh, rift, not the rift, the um, whatever it's called. Yeah, and, um, the void the, thing. Yeah, yeah, the void between the two worlds. And I just, that moment, that is one of the little best moments in the entire series when he they open the metal box from the inside and you see that letter poised to go in and you're like... I don't know which way the show's going to go, which is exciting in season five to not be able to predict. I don't think they're so far from the books now, even in season four, there were elements. I don't think I had any idea of what was going to happen. And that was some of the best part is now it's just like, there's all kinds of stuff happening. We don't know the revisiting old characters. They're bringing up stuff that happened four seasons ago and we get to enjoy the unexpected quality of it. You mentioned that small moment of acting that he got to do. And that's one of the things that over the course of the whole show, Hale Appleman as, as mm. Elliot has mm-hmm. gotten to do some amazing, small, intimate, um, reflective, <laughs> Meisnerian uh, acting. Mm-hmm. I mean, going back to the first season where he's, he's having to decide, well, I gotta, I gotta ax this dude. Uh, things were looking promising with him and I could have been happy, but uh, sorry, the stakes are too high. That was where it began and that we've gotten and he's he's not doing the same thing every time. It's that he is able to operate on such a a very ultra precise granular level like that. Um, and the show makes way for him to do that and does the same thing for the whole cast mm-hmm. gives all of them an opportunity to do stuff. Rick worthy when he gets to be crazy fog in season five <laughs> man alive. <laughs> I have rarely been so happy. <laughs> Okay, time for a brief break so I can tell you about our sponsor this week. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Now, Masterclass is an app. It's accessible from your phone, on Apple TV, on the web, and it lets you learn from the best people in the world. It gives you exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their craft. You can learn the art of filmmaking from Martin Scorsese. You can improve your screenwriting skills with Aaron Sorkin. You can learn the art of storytelling from Neil Gaiman. More than 75 different instructors across tons of categories. There's something for everyone. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, I love space stuff and Chris Hadfield has a whole astronaut section 
Uh, he teaches this whole astronaut course, and it's all the things that go into being an astronaut and the work they have to do, and I loved it. Um, all about it. All the uh, really difficult stuff they have to do in training, why they have to train so much. Just a bunch of great stuff. And that's just the beginning. Buy one annual Masterclass All Access Pass for yourself and get one free to share with someone else. Go to masterclass.com slash incomparable to get started with this limited time offer. That's masterclass.com slash incomparable. Hey, you might have some time where you can't go out and do anything right now. Try Masterclass. Maybe that uh, you can do some self-improvement in the meantime. Masterclass.com slash incomparable to sign up. And remember, that's 15% off Masterclass if you go to Masterclass.com slash incomparable. Thank you, Masterclass, for supporting the incomparable. Um, I wanted to mention before we move on from uh, sort of this segment and, and uh, a segue, by the way, is that while he's grieving, Elliot also has his eyes on uh, a mysterious man who is intriguing, who mm -hmm. uh, his connection with that guy uh, who turns out to be the Dark King. Um, <laughs> big shocker uh, is uh, what happens for the rest of the season. But I wanted to do a shout out for the second episode before we move on, which is the Wrath of the Time Bees. Not only are Time Bees hilarious, <laughs> but I thought this was an interesting way to do a, a Groundhog-esque story, for, Groundhog Day-esque story from an a different perspective, which is they're trying to change the past and it keeps not working and they keep trying different things. And ultimately they give up and they try, they tell the people in the past to go visit the, the clock dwarf or whatever and send them to the future. And that's their final solution. But I appreciated that we, that not only is it funny, but it, it was a different take on the let's try this, let's try this repetition thing because every attempt they have to solve the problem fails and they're not the bees, not the, not the time bees. Esme Bianco for me, I love the actress. I think her, I think Jane Chatwin, it, she's a, you know, relatively important character in the, in the books, although, you know, bits and pieces and not a big role. And I feel like her all, and also Marina, who's a new character, those two actresses, they're re they have such different roles. I mean, there's so many delightful performers in this, mm -hmm. but anyway, Esme Bianco, every time she shows up, I just love, she's, you know, almost literally a deus ex machina. She's living, yep. <clears throat> it's the whole trope, but she's living outside of time. She has all this knowledge. She solved all the problems. She's the hero who kind of finished her task by finding the right heroes and she gets to survive sort of indefinitely but just this the bit where she's like yes here's a bunch of time stuff i'm gonna go make tea it's like all right that's, that's great i just <laughs> right. she, she is the deus ex machina or, or or like god in the story where it's like <laughs> yeah. if you really have a problem go to jane chatwin and she'll help you out because she engineered the whole story yeah exactly what i liked um like so we have at the beginning of the season we have the kind of the the mourning period for quentin but we also have the introduced that there's going to be a quest yes and <laughs> and we have sir effingham the mm. literal, literal chauvinist pig yep. who turns up uh, uh, oh, played, oh dear oh dear <laughs> played by sean mcguire who yeah. plays oh. also the dark king yes um, that was so great Amazing. and he's he's a he's an actor from british tv you know from eastenders and, and the like of that and he was in once upon a time as well i think but he's very mm -hmm. good as as the completely over the top uh chauvinist pig talking to julia right he because just, he's got a fantasy quest and he doesn't think a girl can do it which is just yeah it's I mean, typical it's, it's very typical funny. very funny <laughs> i think that's actually there's a sub theme of season five too and we get it expressed in full in the last episode is you know is they've made nods at and pushed back at especially Margot at yes. the just the ridiculous sexism of all fantasy worlds yeah and then season five is kind of like we're going to keep pounding away at that until the 
last episode in which we, you know, hammer it. <laughs> yeah, because because the ultimate way. the ultimate yeah. resolution is that is that they give birth to a new world using a seed that was stored in yeah anyway um, <laughs> in a birth canal in, in a birthing yeah, canal yeah that was surprising um, dark I, well you, you mentioned our, yeah. our dark king uh, yeah who, let's talk uh, about the dark know. king a little because well, he th- is there's, important. There's there's him and we we get Ember and Umber back for a moment and Ember <laughs> comes fresh to us off of uh, off of saying Jason's favorite line in Star Trek history various various bones, bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I I loved I love that we got some new Florian stuff and we got uh, little little uh, little plays of the greatest hits of of Goofy Florian stuff uh, but the Dark King um, wow is he great and. And wow, is he sinister and and sinister in in not a mustache twirling way, though he has a mustache to twirl. Um, But he's he he toes that line of, well, he's definitely the bad guy. Oh, but wait a minute. It seems like he's actually looking out for people. Oh, he's not looking out for people. Oh, wait a minute. He's actually ending everything. Okay, never mind. I disliked him. I dislike him very much. Um, uh, yeah, the, the performance is fantastic. The construction of the character is fantastic. And knowing that there was a dark King and not knowing who it was, I, uh, in, in all of my aimless wanderings of my mind, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine who it would be, even though at first I went, is it like another chat one? I think we've done all the chat ones. It's not a chat one, right? Yeah, it's a chat one. Yeah. So many chat ones, uh, turn up in this season. Mm-hmm. We had another chat one as well. Um, and I, I like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't absolutely love the fact that it came back to the beast and all the stuff from season one. And I can see why they did it in, in a kind of tying all that up. Uh, but I was, I'm I glad was, the beast was not back for any longer than he was. Yes. Yeah, Although exactly. I love that. I love that. I thought that was so hilarious, actually. Yeah, no, he I mean, comes I'm back. Like, he's like, at last, my plans like, for domination. Oh, I see that's it. a criticism <laughs> that he's he's not in it long enough. And I, I'm torn. Like, it is abrupt, but I think that's the joke, right? It's like, oh, no, the big bad from season one is here. <laughs> and then, like, a, a pillar, uh, like a stat, like a, he's crushed by pillar, and that's it. And the, the, the planet blows up. It's hilarious. <laughs> the great bit where he gets to do the meta, the, again, the metatextual thing, he points to Elliot. It's like, you're that minor character. How yeah, are you still right? here? <laughs> <laughs> are you still alive? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the, but but yeah, it is. There's a lot of uh, a lot of chat wins running around too. But still, that was a funny that was a funny bit. Um, can we talk about the moon? Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, this was my favorite part of the season. There, there, the the idea that magic is all, all going haywire, and it turns out. And this is the thing that impresses me about the show so much is how inventive it is. They're like, all right, let me explain what's going on. Well, there are these people who follow the moon, and you can make a you can beseech the moon, and the moon will give you power to do this thing. And then they realize they need to destroy the moon, or maybe they just need to move the moon a little bit. And there is a heist. There's a plot. They've got to do it, and they fail. And that that gives you the second episode where they have the, another time loop where they have to tr- try to fix it because they failed and, and the world comes to an end and the world keeps coming to an end. And that's your proper Groundhog Day episode. And I love the in the center of the season. I love those episodes so much. I like how weird they are, how they throw <laughs> yes. rules at you like, oh, well, of course, you've got to get moon brain, which is this. Like, you got to stay up for th- four <laughs> days and be crazy. And then you can talk to the moon. And uh, it 
was funny, but it was also really exciting. And then it led to the hilarious uh, time loop, which is solved by having a conversation with the whales, because the whales are also very powerful magicians who want to be left alone. That's a that's like a throwaway line in in book three of the series about the whales. And I thought, well, they're never going to do the whales because we got past that. And then I'm watching somewhere before episode five. I'm I'm actually paying attention to that lovely little do 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 little opening they do with the oak, the invisible oak tree casting its shadow. And I look at the graffiti on the wall and there are whales there. <laughs> and I went, wait a minute, we're going to get the whales. They actually foreshadowed it. If you were paying attention and I, I suddenly was like, I was like, when, wait, wait, when are we going to get the whales? And then we got the whales. Yeah, I love uh, the lunatics, the moon, the moon brain, the staying up, everybody trying to stay awake and falling asleep. And uh, and it just, it, it could not be more, to me, that could not be more magicians. <laughs> just, it's absurd and yet also um, uh, dramatic and the stakes couldn't be higher and they they screw it up. And even when they do solve it, it, they don't quite solve it right, which feeds into the rest of the season where they realize that they've averted the wrong apocalypse. Yeah. And the moon, the moon is mad at them as well. Yes, yes. Yes. The moon is not happy with them, it turns out. Uh, nor are all of the lunatics because well, they mess with the moon. Don't mess with the moon. And they and they get to have serious conversations about can we can we destroy the moon? Could we move the moon? Could we replace the moon with a, a new moon? Is that the solution here? I'm like, what? Is the moon a giant egg? Yes. Well, I, I, did, ha- I, I did shout kill the moon at the TV several times <laughs> yes. at that point. That's right. Exactly. I was waiting for that. So like, uh, I just, how, how do we format good. the stationery to properly apologize to the moon by letter? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, I I enjoy the whole uh, the whole moon bit in the center. Um, we should talk about Penny's journey in this season. I wanted to touch on that. He becomes the dean of Break Bills at one point, which is hilarious <laughs> because Dean Fogg is sent off into the into the permanent LSD trip dimension. I did not know they were saying they were saying I thought they were saying etherochrome, and I was like, well, that's a cool word they coined until several episodes when I realized they were saying it's like Roger. It's they were saying etheric realm, and I was like, oh, oh. all right, that's fine. That's fine yeah. too. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to becoming the dean eventually, Penny also loses his ability to travel, and then there's a student who's a traveler, but it turns out she's a time traveler, which leads to them going. Uh, there's a lot going on here. They go back in time, <laughs> and, they, and she's also. Also a chat one. And yep. yeah, it turns out she's a chat one descendant. Too many chat ones. Um, and uh, and the, there's that creepy thing where they get like hijacked by the guy who feeds on people's time tr- time traveler energy and he's in a mm-hmm. room that's outside space and time. And what does that mean? But he might also not be totally evil. We're never sure because we don't see him again. So yeah. who knows? Yeah. It's like inverse Doctor Who kind of uh, time <laughs> stealer. Um, it, it, it's... Uh, I think Penny, so we, a lot of people talk about Margot and fair play. Margot is a great character. Um, the actress is did a great job with it. That is a f- spectacular uh, character that I think draws a lot of attention because of the, the nature of that character. But I want to say Penny. Penny in the books especially yeah. is just kind of annoying. Um, but Penny in the show just kept unfolding as the show went along. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they didn't, it didn't even stop when they killed him <laughs> because they just pulled out another Penny plus kept the other Penny around every now and then down in the underworld. Like I, I enjoy the fact that they gave Penny his own arc here. Penny also has to grapple with the fact that uh, something we haven't even mentioned yet, which is it's red <laughs> monkey month in Fillory, which means that Julia is getting very pregnant very quickly with Penny's baby. They Winona Earp that 
that oh, pregnancy. Really? Yeah, because I, I looked it up. I was like, is she? She yeah, was pregnant. She got yeah. pregnant. And so they wrote it into the story and all that. But uh, it, it so and, and that means the penny goes to see his mother. And there's this question about like their relationship. Like there was just a lot of great penny stuff. And I wanted to stop and admire the fact that penny as a character, just he became so central and so good. And, and like Margot just unfolds over the course of five seasons. And it's breathtaking to think of where they started and where they ended up. They did a great job with him in, t- in both uh Penny 40 and Penny 23, right? So, yeah. so Penny 40 is kind of a jerk and that's kind of his character trait for a while. And he's just angry and you don't find out for, I think, quite a while how horrible his childhood was and this whole stuff about mother, like that ekes out over time. And the original, uh, in the books, it's the same thing. You don't really know why he's so angry and unhappy and dysfunctional. But so Penny, but so Penny 40 in the main plot, uh, he gets redeemed essentially in the afterlife. Like he gets to actually become sort of, <laughs> it's only after after he dies that he becomes he starts to accept what's going on and then kind of you know does transcend and become this different character who you then get to see and they then they do the same thing because penny 23 is not penny 40 penny 23 is a de- very different person when he arrives he's had a different life and he's less of a jerk and he's more uh productive and effective he's in kind terms of got of, survivor's guilt too right because he yeah. comes from a timeline where everybody died yeah and then he does he steps up all the time and that bit i mean i know we're going back to season four but that last episode of season four which i've watched several times especially the last scene (laughs) the bit where quentin looks at penny and penny has already told himself penny 40 it dead has told penny 23 when the moment comes and you're just like ah it's just he steps up he does the thing to help alice survive because he knows alice would be too heartbroken to leave quentin behind and what a moment and then we get to see that character in season five still carry through that like integrity and being you know he does you know he does the same thing he essentially comes and saves Margot near the end right because he's just even though he's carrying a baby i mean all these things are so great and without him i think the show would have been you know so much thinner without that kind of outsider character who becomes you know stands up I, I grew to love him more and more every season, I think. And yeah. I, what, one of the things I really loved is how distinct and yet the same, like there's that subtle mm. differences between the two pennies where they do feel like the same person, but you can feel like he's, they're played differently. They do have different arcs and that is, that's really cool. Cause I think that's a difficult thing to do in the writing and in the performance and you you know they're different like they are not the same people and yet they they are you know so it's great I like that across many of the actors in this show that get to do alternate versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't quite as much of it in this season, but, you know, we did have the the, the evil uh, fog and yeah. people like that. And I, I enjoy any show. I mean, we've spoken about uh, many of them on on this network, but, you know, I enjoy any show that has an actor that has to like play another version of an actor pretending to be, you know, another version of the character pretending to be the first character and for you to still be able to follow through all the, the things and see that, yes, this is actually not the same person. The actress playing Marina having to play herself. Oh, that was the so horrible funny. scene. Yeah. And then when she's so horribly killed by the beast, then brought back from the dead, then we get Marina 23. Right. Then she does that thing to herself in season five. So she's so not a sociopath, <laughs> which they have to yeah. undo, <laughs> which is amazing. So right? So we got to save yeah. the world by you. You made the decision to be a better person. Uh, that's not going to work. We need to save the world. We need the bad Marina back. She's like, all right. <laughs> like, all right. No, 
moral, yeah. no moral uncertainty there. It's okay. Marina gets to do some of my favorite acting in the season in the musical episode where she's, she's everybody's singing and dancing around the apartment, but she caught my eye because she just looks so put out and bored and angry to be forced to sing and dance. It, it It's mm-hmm. like, you can tell this is like the, the 15th musical episode that she's been involved in, in her life or something like that. It's just, she's delightful. It's also, I think this show is excellent. It's and I think, especially in season five, we get every flavor of, of, evil and chaos and indifference and so even the balls that come later when they tell fen well we want to have a child we can't because we're cursed so we need to create a new world she's like huh that's not really i didn't think i saw that coming and it was great because it wasn't a faint it wasn't made up it was actually their genuine impulse even though they're really incredibly evil yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you almost have sympathy for them except for the whole the (laughs) the method is a little you know destructive (laughs) but I wanted to mention, um, before we move on from Penny, uh, an interchange that Glenn and I had that I thought was really instructive about how yes. you, how we view Penny. So I mentioned Penny connecting with his mom, and Glenn and I had a conversation. I was like, but that's not his mom because he's a different Penny. Yeah. And this is one of the ways where I think sci-fi right. has, tr- has trained us, the genre, not the channel, to think about parallel <laughs> universes. And The Magicians is different because it's this time loop that Jane Chatwin created. So everybody, th- there's only one Penny and anybody else who enters the time loop. And then they there are multiple versions of them within the time loop. And then since we're watching the aftermath of the last loop, the 40, um, everything comes out of it. And the, the those are all the people from time loop 40. And in the nonsense time loop wackiness of this show, you can apparently pluck people out of other loops that are going on. So Penny's mom is Penny's mom because every Penny lived the first part mm-hmm. of that life mm-hmm. it's just that their their experience in that whatever period of time it is where the time loop is going on is different and there are many different versions like they're like revisions of the same page and then you, you know you pull one out and you move it forward and it's you know it's different but it can still slide in so i think that's i, I hadn't really thought about it but when when glenn prompted me i was like right like this isn't a parallel universe quite it's just a alternate like path in a small period of time that was catastrophic for everybody who lived through those other timelines. But uh, this penny came out of it. So, so not quite parallel. It just goes to show every penny's lucky. It's just a matter of they're a different kind of lucky. When you see a penny, pick it up. I mean, that goes into Dean Fogg's uh, uh, psychosis. And right. Dean, Dean, Fo- I mean, it's actually great. Part of what makes that character so rich and part of what I think is great about how the actor portrays him is he is so, he is so over it by loop 40. Even though they win, he is done. And so part of his, you know, part of his problem is that he did, he, like Jane, remembers all 40 loops right. and it's pretty terrible. He's, at, so he's not, he is that last person. The other 39 Dean Fogs apparently all exist during those time loops, but he's the last one to remain. Although it is confusing. Jason, wait, I have one Philip though, which is that the Dean Fogg who comes from the other time loop from Dean, is it Fogg 17? I think he, uh, he is still existing at the same time. They thought all the loops collapsed, but the loops are actually persisting simultaneously. Right. Which is, is sort of a parallel world. So thing you can too. kind of, but only for a part, right? It's the, Oh, you're right. Cause it's the same people. You can, oh, have, a count, I see you you can yeah. have a counterpart argument, which is like, I had this in our counterpart episode, which is, um, <laughs> if, if, if you, 
uh, get married and have a child and raise the child. And then your world, let's just say, splits into two parallel worlds that are duplicates of one another. Right. And you live that way for a few weeks and then uh, and then meet your daughter on the other side is that your daughter or is that your duplicates daughter and the the show and a lot of the viewers want to argue that that's not your daughter and i would say it absolutely is your daughter because yeah. for the first there was only one of you 15 years of the life there was only yeah. the one of you and it's only the last two weeks there have been two of you so you're really that 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 there really isn't a link there but you know it's peril. It's I, I nonsense. So it's okay. I buy that argument, though, Jason. I'm on your team. <laughs> that whole journey of logic just made me conjure the phrase, which fog is fogged, and is fog the one that's fogged, or is he foggy? <laughs> and, and, and I don't know what any does, of that means. Does, does, I don't know does what any fog of it means. remember all of the loops up to the point where he right. is looping, but not after? Well, he would have to then, wouldn't he? Is he in a loop, or is he looping? Oh, my God. That actor is delightful, Rick and I Rivie, love his yeah, voice. He's great. And when I, when I saw him, I saw an interview after the show, and I was like, oh, that's just not the voice he uses all the time. I mean, of course it's not, but it's just it's such a wonderful, perfect voice for that character, and, mm-hmm. and uh, not the character is somewhat different than in the books again and i think a better version i actually appreciate him more in the series he's a he's a central part of the series and he's not in the in the books in anything the same way but anyway i just i thought the actor has done such a wonderful job uh including in lsd world so we, we I, I like the fact that he has to hold a cat for yes to, to remain to remain sane it's unclear i mean it's possible that he could be cured and and then not need the cat anymore but for a while he needs the cat for sure um and then like well i know it looks like a normal cat but this is a crazy cat it's also a good thing (laughs) you can't tell you can't tell the difference um okay we should talk about the world seed and the the big heist and that's the musical episode uh where they have to again we're we're trying to get the world seed and so they've got like down in the basement and all of that and i'm gonna i'm gonna just say I thought this was a pretty good heist episode. I thought it was kind of a lousy musical episode, and I feel like they pushed the button on musical episodes once too many times. I, yeah, I like I the Peter Gabriel because I like Peter Gabriel. Uh, and yeah, and I, I like the gender swap on it as well. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it's like they, they've had sort of diminishing returns on the musical episodes. I think that's the first one. Um, I I feel the season three one was my favorite. Yeah, I think that was the first one. There was a little bit of Les Mis in the second one before going into battle, battle, and then the the third one they did a proper musical episode. Yeah. Yeah, so I agree. I think oh, that the, thir- the musical Yeah, all part- that Josh, that was that was great because that yeah. was really well. It was structured into the plot. It made sense. Right. Why yeah. There was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the under pressure, which I think is the best yeah. musical number they've done. Yeah. It, absolutely. Yeah, even Peter Gabriel, and I love Peter Gabriel too, but it, it felt really on the nose to me and also not <laughs> particularly attached to the story. It was like, well, time for a pep talk here's a song that's a pep talk and now we'll move on with the story it just didn't it just didn't connect with me and i i i Mm -hmm. I felt bad because i like we're running out of episodes here we're almost at the end of the show and i've enjoyed their musical episodes and it just it just didn't work i thought that i thought it was a mistake and it's too bad because i thought the heist was fun the heist was great it almost felt like the the writer's room went Okay, well, we knew that we wa- we we wrote this down as we wanted this to be a heist episode and a musical episode. Uh, what note cards for music numbers that we didn't use in previous seasons do we have hanging around? All right, let's uh, do those. Yeah, and th- it didn't it didn't work as well as like you said the the under pressure one. It just it felt like it was pasted together in terms of mm-hmm. the songs they were picking. I did like the conceit, though, that they had these yeah, sort too. of emotion-sensing guards in this hotel, and 
So they had to suppress all their emotions. And then, of course, they mess it up. Yes. And realize that will. not suppressing your emotions is the key to yeah. defeating That was them. why I like um, the heist, is that it had very clever mechanics about it. It's it just the musical numbers felt almost like, I just want a more heist. Uh, they just felt like, oh, well, mm-hmm. we have to do the music part now. But it just felt more obligatory than anything. I don't know. When when your opening musical number in the musical episodes is better than the rest of them, you have not constructed the ideal musical number episode. I, I think the the thing that worked in I, three and four for me is the music worked as part of the plot and they were tr- like it sort of worked as the plot, but it didn't integrate as well as the other ones. And perhaps because they had so much going on, but it, yeah, it just didn't it didn't mesh in as seamlessly, I think, as the other ones did. Yeah. Which usually that that's how musical episodes go in shows is they're like, they slap some music in and like there's music, right. you know, so, and you that's why asp- the magicians were better at it usually. You need but to aspire this is just more, more like, to it for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I like the heist episode. I like the whole concept of the hotel. I like them doing yep. kind of an oceans, whatever in the middle of that. But, um, I didn't think the couple was that threatening. I thought they were the wrong villains for the end. Mm. So I felt it, it did peter out a little bit. I don't, I, I, I mean, even though the, the male member of the Mr. Ball is, uh, very, you know, awful and cuts fingers off and it's terrible and all that. I, uh, they, they didn't have the same kind of malice as in some previous seasons. And so you had sort of a big bad, the dark lord who turns out to be, you know, a, a sad man who's trying to recover his lover. We already know that. And then the couple seems ominous and that incredible episode, uh, in which, um, gosh, is an episode two in the season or three where uh katie is trying to sort something out with her sidekick there in the hedge world and uh they all get kind of roofy they get truthy or not truthy i'm sorry they all get uh memory spelled and have to reconstruct it that is an incredible mm-hmm. bit the whole thing and the 3d memory reconstruction spell and all that and i'm like oh the couple seems really this is going to be and then you know they stole an entire library branch and they want the world seed and all of this and then i just don't feel there was enough payoff mm. with them they kind of get pushed out of the way at the end of episode 12 they don't come back in the final episode and that's kind of one of the only significant flaws i thought in the whole the whole season is how they were dealt with that brings us to the final episode which we should talk about final episodes of series are always uh difficult santa saved the day at the end of the heist so santa we start on christmas <laughs> yeah, morning santa. good to see santa back a little bit everybody gets a present josh gets a microplane very important uh and then they this is the the idea they're going to put their plan into attack they've got to uh they've got to uh get everybody off of fillery they've got to destroy fillery and they've got to plant the world seed and then move everybody to fillery and so we get the you know everybody's doing their thing meanwhile julia has a baby uh they have to cut the cord the the magic umbilical cord that is going to connect her to the baby and do to her what was done to penny's mom um but uh fog evil fog appears and <laughs> does something and they bring the other fog back and give him a, a a mental health cat uh a lot of a lot of things happen and in the end you know guess what they succeed um, they they get everybody off of Fillory. They plant the world seed. Um, the people who are doing the the world seed spell disappear, and we get that last kind of coda where um, fog always keeps the cat, and magic is still around. And they've got the hedge witch group going on. Um, uh, Dark King ends up uh, after opening the door to the underworld uh, and freeing the beast. Uh, they get blown up because the fillery is destroyed and uh, and Dark King Seb ends up uh, in the Clock Baron's 
with Jane to have tea for eternity. And our last, uh, <laughs> Openi and Julia have their baby in a, in a carrier and they can, uh, they can, they're, they're traveling around the universe trying to find their friends. And meanwhile, on the, uh, on the, on the planet that's been created by the world seed, we see our last group of friends. Uh, it's Fen, Alice, Margo, and Josh. And uh, food grows everywhere. There's like pizza trees and stuff. And they're eating and they're going to open up the the uh, the the bus or whatever it is, the arc that contains everybody from Fillory. And they're going to press the button. And that's the last shot as Marco presses the button. She's the high king of the new planet. Mm-hmm. She's going to release everybody from Fillory into this new world. What will happen? And that's the that's how the show ends. And we get Elliot gets a relationship as well. Yeah, with, Elliot gets a happy ending. With, yes, that's right. With Charlton from his head, who is now put in the body of the creepy voyeur guy Common. who wants to just go back <laughs> to being a creepy voyeur, which gives you your metatextual commentary again, where he's like, this is the best episode ever. And The best yeah. episode ever. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, one correction. The fog. It's not. It's not uh, evil fog. It's, it's fog, crazy fog. Evil fog. They pushed in the etheric realm in episode twelve. So this is the fog that was pushed out of the etheric realm. Who is actually fog forty? Who is overwhelmed with all of the uh, timelines? Time oh, loops. that's right. That's right. And he's 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 seen what what happens because it turns out there's like the sneaky bonus time loop that is revealed very quickly in here where they already tried it once yeah. and it didn't like work. The, so they left. looped it and they're trying it again. But of course, Fogg knows all of that and he's trying to do things different. And then until the, you're right, then they give him the cat. So how, how did how did it work for you as a as a season uh, and series finale? The The thing I like most about this ending is that. Yes, it is a it is it is a satisfying enough ending to the show, um, but it it does not preclude them from, for example, having the show get really uh, you know get a lot of of streams as it were, and when the rights revert from Netflix to Peacock, everybody's favorite streaming service, um, <laughs> Peacock maybe decides to do you know a trio of telefilms to fully wrap up everything and 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 go yet a bit further but i would be fine if they left it where it is and and i think it's fine yeah i i agree i don't need more i'd love more because it's good but i don't need more after this ending to me Mm -hmm. it feels like this is again i know people hate endings and they're like but what happens after she presses the button it's like well you know what happens it's the, you know it's like it's not a bad place to end it is like and then they created a new world and let everybody from fillory into it and i'm sure they had adventures but this is the end it's it's yeah it's a bit like counterpart in the it, it's a you know i would like another season of it but you know it's not going to happen um but it was a reasonable enough place to leave it, and we can. Th- there will be much fanfic written to fill yes. in the details after this. Will be <laughs> fanfic and further. I I actually was a little teary when they destroyed uh, Fillory when they showed it breaking up. And this is again, I mean, maybe my obsession with the books is that uh, it's a really lovely scene when, in the end of book three, when Fillory is saved, and they chose a different path, which I think is actually great and uh and shows that they're not beholden to this plot that they've kind of increasingly left behind even as elements elements of it keep coming up but so i'm kind of i was like oh are they really gonna destroy fillory is that it and like oh they really did they blew the whole place up okay i I guess it's all all right they got a new world and all that but and and it was a world that was supposedly the best of fillory and the the best of Mm -hmm. earth i like that i i feel like much of you where it it's it's satisfying enough and yeah, sure. If they brought more back, I would totally watch more. But I also like things not to go on for too long because 
usually, you know, that's not always a yeah. great idea either. And, you know, like at the beginning of the episode, Santa says, uh, you got, you live a quest heavy lifestyle and this <laughs> leaves it in a way where, you know, they're not going to stop having quests and adventures and you can play that out in comics, in fanfic, in your imagination. However, that they're still going to go on and be what they are, but we're leaving them here. And, you know, that, that leaves a lot of open ended things, but it was satisfying how they ended it. Then there was a cautionary tale earlier in like episode five, was it when they're trying to find or earlier when they're trying to find the meta uh, math expert and they find her and her sister and the third sister is dead. And they're like, look, we did all those questing things like, I don't know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. And we are retired. And they're like, well, we're in the middle of our questing period. We have to keep saving the universe or we won't have (laughs) a universe. So we'll have no magic. We'll have no earth. We have to keep doing this. And they're like, we're out. (laughs) Okay. I get Mm -hmm. it. I get it. And I, I feel like they'll they'll eventually find each other again and they'll find a path to go between the two of worlds course. again. And, you know, that's going to happen. I know it. And uh, it, that's a good thing to think about. Yeah. Also, point out, Zelda gets to do the ultimate redemption in that episode, too. I thought that was mm-hmm. a neat little added thing is that she sacrifices herself. You know, she's cut her daughter. We, you know, unfortunately lose sight of her daughter, which is too bad because I like that. I like the actress and the character a lot, but she sort of disappears earlier. Um, but you know, she's a lot, she's alive and functioning and back in the world. So Zelda's made a lot of really big mistakes and she's been trying to atone for it. And then at the moment that it's important in the, in the loop that Dean Fogg has once again helped set up, uh, she, does that spell and you know and then her turning to wood or whatever he does to her is you know a little beautiful horrible way for her to have uh you know and and she's also the other thing is uh, at some point she mentions how old she is and she has lived a really long life so it's not 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 sad when anyone dies but it's also she's not like and we know from penny that what she says is true which is when you die you just go to another branch of the library that that sounds like it's mm-hmm. a metaphor it's not it's not <laughs> <laughs> i i also appreciated that uh penny and, and the baby saved marco even though i kind of would have been okay if she she had sacrificed herself but when you have an ending like this i'm like i just want everyone to be yeah. happy and yeah. so I'm glad they they saved Margot in the end and that um, another meta reference is like, come with me if you want to live. Josh makes me that. Like, I love it. I, you know, we got into the last couple of episodes and I, I think uh, I was saying it in Slack. Boy, they have they, they have a whole lot of balls in the air. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a whole lot going on. And, uh, call me wrong. I was, I was concerned that they were not going to stick it. And I feel like they really stuck the landing quite well. Yeah. I think they managed to wrap everything up. Yeah. They wrapped it up enough, but I think because they didn't wrap everything up in like a complete tidy bow, it like they wrapped up the right things and like other things are just going to keep going. So yeah, but I thought the same. I was like, I don't know how we're going to finish this in one episode. But you know, if the, if the TV, if a TV movie happened or something down the line, I, I would totally I'd be watch here for it. that. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts? I'll go around one last time. Final thoughts about the series as a whole this season. Uh, you know, send it off into uh, a new planet as yet unnamed. Annette. Well, I was worried at the end of last season, and I feel like I can't, this like wooed me back. <laughs> I'm back in again, and. Even if it's ending, I'm sort of looking forward to seeing what a lot of these actors, especially the new ones, we're going to see in other things because I'm sure we're going to see a lot of them. And I look forward to seeing what other stories they're going to tell for us. All right. Glenn? 
I probably would have been reasonably satisfied if the whole show had been kind of like a loose adaptation from the book series because of how much I liked it in the end. Uh, and then it wasn't. And I was delighted because there is that feeling of, you know, you get, you get that little feeling when you're like, Oh, I know something everyone else doesn't except everyone who's read the books knows it too, but you're watching and they throw in a little thing and I'm like, okay, they're, they're keeping a few elements. They're keeping the feel and the universe the same. The rules are the same in the game, but they've, you know, changed the detail. So I, I really, I like what they did with it. I think they produced some really good new, uh, TV and some powerful characters. And I also like that they swapped up the importance of characters over time. So it wasn't just the same group. It wasn't, you know, friends. It was uh, a, a changing dynamic across time. And I like that they stuck to their guns in the last season by not having Quentin come back, which I really, really expected would happen. And he wasn't a savior. He wasn't the male savior who comes, the hero mm-hmm. who qu- finishes at the end. Really, Margot <laughs> Margo and Zelda and a few other people are the ones who, uh, who save the world at the very end. Yeah, when you dropped that in the Slack, I went, I hope they don't yeah. bring him back. Mm-hmm. I really, uh, and I, I, I felt... Uh, yeah, I'll, it's not the first time you've depressed me, Glenn. Um, well, but, it won't uh, be the last. It won't be the you. last. That's the thing is, I, I I know it won't be the last. Well, I, I lowered your expectations, and then you were so overjoyed when it didn't happen. <laughs> I, color me shocked, Glenn. Glenn. Glenn pulled the old magicians on me. Ooh, Moises, thoughts? Final thoughts? Um, I just a real wonderful good show. You you put a call out to uh, people in the mem- member Slack, uh, uh, for TVTM. You know shows for people to jump onto, and this one ended so satisfyingly that I I can r- recommend its five seasons with absolutely no reservations to people who would like a show like this that is smart and metatextual and weird and goofy and deliciously profane. Um, and I, I yeah, it it is it is something that. I, I wish there were more cases like this where a good show gets to send itself off on its own terms um, and and it still feels like the same show that we started with. And the show that they started with was one that they had more metatextual plans for than I think a lot of people bargained for who didn't read the books or didn't read all the spoilers like I told Glenn that I did after watching season one. Um and yeah, I, I just, I, I wish there were more things like this, especially, in, you know, in a time like we're living in now or just in the peak TV age where you can go, yeah, this is not one of the great shows of all time. This is not the Sopranos. This is not the wire. This is not one of those that has that kind of baggage attached to it of, oh, this is one of the citizens Kane of TV. <laughs> It is I haven't just, watched either of those. I sound profoundly uh, boring to me. This I will watch again and again. <laughs> it, well, it's, it, it's, I, I have friends who have bought the Breaking Bad complete series box set and it has sat on their shelf shrink wrapped for five years. Um, <laughs> and th- there's th- like this show does not have any of that kind of baggage where it's just like, yeah, watch the first episode. And if you're into that kind of, you know. Uh, magic is a real thing in the world with none of the trappings of PG or PG 13 media. Uh, and it gets real weird. Have fun. Go for it. Uh, it, it's, it's something that I can see somebody devouring most of the first season in a weekend afternoon and, and not looking back. James, final thoughts. So I, I mentioned Buffy earlier and I, I think there are some comparisons to be made, but I think, 
And this may be, you know, heretical to say, I prefer <laughs> this to Buffy. This podcast is over. <laughs> but what I'm, I'm still, ta- I'll still talk to you, James. I could the, see that actually. The reason is just because this builds on top of a lot of stuff that Buffy did and then takes it further, I think. And it goes weirder and in lots of different places. Um, but what I would like is I want to see 20 years down the line, I want to see the TV show where the characters grew up watching the magicians. Ah. So we have <laughs> the, the meta on the meta That's on the good. meta. I think the big difference, um, and yeah, Buffy's my favorite show of all time, but I think the big difference is that Buffy is a show with a, a protagonist who is the hero mm-hmm. and a supporting cast. Whereas I think the lesson of the magicians from the beginning is, uh, here's Quentin. No, like you think this is, he's going to be Buffy. He's not. He's not. And the supporting cast, those are other heroes who are in their stories. And this is not just about this one guy and the people who help him. Whereas Buffy is basically about this one girl and the people who help her. Hey, hey, Jason, uh, if you find uh, Quentin insufferable and the idea of Buffy, but for boys, uh, absolutely detestable. I got good news for you. You're going to like this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right that brings us to the end of this episode and the end of the magicians we will miss it uh but i just i'm gonna go watch it again sometime that's what's gonna happen and i'm gonna enjoy it knowing what's coming and it's gonna be great uh i would like to thank my guests for being here on this episode annette Werstra, thank you thank you i feel like i'm just gonna go start over this afternoon right away F- fair enough do it watch do it glenn fleischman yeah. thank you Thank you very much. I feel like I lived an entire lifetime during this podcast. Mm. Yes, me too. <laughs> me too. James Thompson, thank you. Hell is real and it smells like Axe Body Spray. <laughs> and Moises too young. Thank you. I'm sorry. There's always another quest. I know you wanted to just end the podcast already. There's always <laughs> another quest, but we're going to leave that to the listeners to imagine. Uh, thank you, listeners, for going on this quest with us and for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time. <laughs>